Chapter Two of Moods by Louisa May Alcott. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Laura Riley. Moods by Louisa May Alcott. Chapter Two Whims. Come, Sylvia, it is nine o'clock. Little slug a bed. Don't you mean to get up today? said Miss Yule, bustling into her sister's room in the wide awake appearance of one to whom sleep was a necessary evil, to be endured and gotten over as soon as possible. No, why should I? And Sylvia turned her face away from the flood of light that poured into the room as Prue put aside the curtains and flung up the window. "'Why should you? What a question! Unless you are ill. I was afraid you would suffer for that long row yesterday, and my predictions seldom fail.' "'I am not suffering from any cause whatever, and your prediction does fail this time. I am only tired of everybody and everything, and see nothing worth getting up for, so I shall stay here till I do.' Please put the curtain down, and leave me in peace. Prue had dropped her voice to the foreboding tone so irritating to nervous persons, whether sick or well, and Sylvia laid her arm across her eyes with an impatient gesture as she spoke sharply. Nothing worth getting up for, cried Prue, like an aggravating echo. Why, child, there are a hundred pleasant things to do if you would only think so. Now don't be dismal and mope away this lovely day. Get up and try my plan. Have a good breakfast, read the papers, and then work in your garden before it grows too warm. That is wholesome exercise, and you've neglected it sadly of late. I don't wish any breakfast. I hate newspapers. They are so full of lies. I'm tired of the garden, for nothing goes right this year and I detest taking exercise merely because it's wholesome. No, I'll not get up for that. Then stay in the house and draw, read, or practice. Sit with Mark in the studio. Give Miss Hemming directions about your summer things, or go into town about your bonnet. There is a matinee, try that. Or make calls, for you owe fifty at least. Now I'm sure there's employment enough and amusement enough for any reasonable person. Prue looked triumphant, but Sylvia was not a reasonable person, and went on in her former despondingly petulant strain. I'm tired of drawing. My head is a jumble of other people's ideas already, and Herr Pedalsturm has put the piano out of tune. Mark always makes a model of me if I go to him, and I don't like to see my eyes, arms, or hair in all his pictures. Miss Hemming's gossip is worse than fussing over new things that I don't need. Bonnets are my torment, and matinees are wearisome, for people whisper and flirt till the music is spoiled. Making calls is the worst of all, for what pleasure or profit is there in running from place to place to tell the same polite fibs over and over again, and listen to scandal 
that makes you pity or despise your neighbors. I shall not get up for any of these things. Prue leaned on the bedpost, meditating with an anxious face, till a forlorn hope appeared, which caused her to exclaim, Mark and I are going to see Geoffrey Moore this morning, just home from Switzerland, where his poor sister died, you know. You really ought to come with us and welcome him, for though you can hardly remember him, he's been so long away, still, as one of the family, it is a proper compliment on your part. The drive will do you good. Geoffrey will be glad to see you. It is a lovely old place, and as you never saw the inside of the house, you cannot complain that you are tired of that yet. Yes, I can, for it will never seem as it has done, and I can no longer go where I please, now that a master's presence spoils its freedom and solitude for me. I don't know him, and don't care to, though his name is so familiar. New people always disappoint me, especially if I've heard them praised ever since I was born. I shall not get up for any Geoffrey Moore, so that bait fails. Sylvia smiled involuntarily at her sister's defeat, but Prue fell back upon her last resource in times like this. With a determined gesture, she plunged her hand into an abysmal pocket and from a miscellaneous collection of treasures selected a tiny vowel, presenting it to Sylvia with a half-pleading, half-authoritative look and tone. "'I'll leave you in peace if you'll only take a dose of chamomilla. It is so soothing that instead of tiring yourself with all manner of fancies, you'll drop into a quiet sleep and by noon be ready to get up like a civilized being.' Do take it, dear, just four sugar plums, and I'm satisfied. Sylvia reached for the bottle with a docile expression, but the next minute it flew out of the window to be shivered on the walk below, while she said, laughing like a willful creature as she was, I have taken it in the only way I ever shall, and the sparrows can try its soothing effects with me. So be satisfied. Very well, then, I shall send for Dr. Baum, for I'm convinced that you are going to be ill. I shall say no more, but act as I think proper, because it's like talking to the wind to reason with you in one of these perverse fits. As Prue turned away, Sylvia frowned and called after her. Spare yourself the trouble, for Dr. Baum will follow the chamomilla if you bring him here. What does he know about health? a fat German, looking lager beer and talking sauerkraut. Bring me bona fide sugar plums and I'll take them. But arsenic, mercury, and nightshade are not to my taste. Would you feel insulted if I ask whether your breakfast is to be sent up or kept waiting till you choose to come down? Prue looked rigidly calm, but Sylvia knew that she felt hurt, and with one of the sudden impulses, which ruled her, the frown melted to a smile, as drawing her sister down she kissed her in her most loving manner. Dear old soul, I'll be good by and by, but now I'm tired and cross, so let me keep out of everyone's way and drowse myself into a cheerier frame of mind. 
I want nothing but solitude, a draught of water, and a kiss. Prue was mollified at once, and after stirring fussily about for several minutes, gave her sister all she asked, and departed to the myriad small cares that made her happiness. As the door closed, Sylvia sighed a long sigh of relief, and folding her arms under her head, drifted away into the land of dreams where ennui is unknown. All the long summer morning she lay wrapped in sleeping and waking dreams, forgetful of the world about her, till her brother played the wedding march upon her door on his way to lunch. The desire to avenge the sudden downfall of a lovely castle in the air roused Sylvia and sent her down to skirmish with Mark. Before she could say a word, however, Prue began to talk in a steady stream, for the good soul had a habit of jumbling news, gossip, private opinions, and public affairs into a colloquial hodgepodge that was often as trying to the intellects as the risibles of her hearers. Sylvia, we had a charming call, and Geoffrey sent his love to you. I asked him over to dinner, and we shall dine at six, because then my father can be with us. I shall have to go to town first, for there are a dozen things suffering for attention. You can't wear a round hat and lawn jackets without a particle of set all summer. I want some things for dinner, and the carpet must be got. What a lovely one Geoffrey had in the library. Then I must see if poor Mrs. Beck has had her leg comfortably off, find out if Freddy Lennox is dead, and order home the mosquito nettings. Now don't read all afternoon, and be ready to receive anyone who may come if I should get belated. The necessity of disposing of a suspended mouthful produced a lull, and Sylvia seized the moment to ask in a careless way, intended to bring her brother out upon his favorite topic, how did you find your saint, Mark? The same sunshiny soul as ever, though he has had enough to make him old and grave before his time. He is just what we need in our neighborhood, and particularly in our house, for we are a dismal set at times, and he will do us all a world of good. What will become of me with a pious, prosy, perfect creature eternally haunting the house, and extorting me on the error of my ways, cried Sylvia. Don't disturb yourself. He is not likely to take much notice of you, and it is not for an indolent, freakish midge to scoff at a man whom she does not know, and couldn't appreciate if she did, was Mark's lofty reply. I rather liked the appearance of the saint, however, said Sylvia with an expression of naughty malice, as she began her lunch. "'Why, where did you see him?' exclaimed her brother. "'I went over there yesterday to take a farewell run in the neglected garden before he came. I knew he was expected, but not that he was here, and when I saw the house open, I slipped in and peeped wherever I liked. You are right, Prue. It is a lovely old place.' Now, I know you did something dreadfully unladylike and improper. Put me out of suspense, I beg of you. Prue's distressful face and Mark's surprise, for
produced an inspiring effect upon Sylvia, who continued with an air of demure satisfaction. I strolled about, enjoying myself, till I got into the library, and there I rummaged, for it was a charming place, and I was happy as only those are who love books, and feel their influence in the silence of a room whose finest ornaments they are. I hope Moore came in and found you trespassing. No, I went out and caught him playing. When I'd stayed as long as I dared, and borrowed a very interesting old book. Sylvia, did you really take one without asking? cried Prue, looking almost as much alarmed as if she had stolen the spoons. Yes, why not? I can apologize prettily, and it will open the way for me. I intend to browse over that library for the next six months. But it was such a liberty, so rude, so dear, dear, and he as fond and careful of his books as if they were his children. Well, I wash my hands of it, and am prepared for anything now. Mark enjoyed Sylvia's pranks too much to reprove, so he only laughed while one sister lamented and the other placidly went on. When I had put the book nicely in my pocket, Prue, I walked into the garden, but before I had picked a single flower, I heard little Tilly laugh behind the hedge, and some strange voice talking to her. So I hopped upon a roller to see, and nearly tumbled off again. For there was a man lying on the grass, with the gardener's children rioting over him. Will was picking his pockets, and Tilly eating strawberries out of his hat, often thrusting one into the mouth of her long neighbor, who always smiled when the little hand came fumbling at his lips. You ought to have seen the pretty picture, Mark. Did he see the interesting picture on your side of the wall? No, I was just thinking what friendly eyes he had, listening to his pleasant talk with the little folks, and watching how they nestled to him as if he were a girl, when Tilly looked up and cried, I see silver! So I ran away, expecting to have them all come racing after. But no one appeared and I only heard a laugh instead of the stop, thief, that I deserved. If I had time, I should convince you of the impropriety of such wild actions. As I haven't, I can only implore you never to do so again on Geoffrey's premises, said Prue, rising as the carriage drove round. I can safely promise that, answered Sylvia, with a dismal shake of her head as she leaned listlessly from the window till her brother and sister were gone. At the appointed time, Moore entered Mr. Yule's hospitably open door, but no one came to meet him, and the house was as silent as if nothing human inhabited it. He divined the cause of this, having met Prue and Mark going downward some hours before, and saying to himself, "'The boat is late,' He disturbed no one, but strolled into the drawing-rooms and looked about him. Being one of those who seldom find time heavy on their hands, he amused himself with observing what changes had been made during his absence. His journey round the apartments was not a long one, for, coming to an open window, he paused with an expression of mingled wonder and amusement. 
a pile of cushions pulled from chair and sofa lay before the long window looking very like a newly deserted nest a warm-hued picture lifted from the wall stood in a streak of sunshine a half-cleared leaf of fruit tray lay on a tabouret and beside it with a red stain on its title page appeared the stolen book at the sight of this moore frowned caught up his desecrated darling and put it in his pocket but as he took another glance at the various indications of what had evidently been a solitary revel very much after his own heart he relented laid back the book and putting aside the curtain floating in the wind looked out into the garden attracted thither by the sound of a spade a lad was at work near by and wondering what new inmate the house had gained the neglected guest waited to catch a glimpse of the unknown face a slender boy in a foreign-looking blouse of grey linen a white collar lay over a ribbon at the throat stout half-boots covered a trim pair of feet and a broad-brimmed hat flapped low on the forehead whistling softly he dug with active gestures and having made the necessary cavity set a shrub filled up the hole trotted down scientifically and then fell back to survey the success of his labors but something was amiss something had been forgotten for suddenly up came the shrub and seizing a wheelbarrow that stood nearby away rattled the boy round the corner out of sight moore smiled at his impetuosity and awaited his return with interest suspecting from appearances that this was some protege of mark's employed as a model as well as a gardener's boy presently up the path came the lad with head down and steady pace trundling a barrow full of richer earth surmounted by a watering pot never stopping for breath he fell to work again enlarged the hole flung in the loam poured in the water reset the shrub and when the last stamp and pat were given performed a little dance of triumph about it at the close of which he pulled off his hat and began to fan his heated face the action caused the observer to start and look again thinking as he recognized the energetic worker with a smile what a changeful thing it is haunting one's premises unseen and stealing one's books unsuspected dreaming one half the day and masquerading the other half what will happen next let us see but not be seen lest the boy turn shy and run away before the pretty play is done holding the curtain between the window and himself moore peeped through the semi-transparent screen enjoying the little episode immensely sylvia fanned and rested a few minutes then went up and down among the flowers often pausing to break a dead leaf to brush away some harmful insect or lift some struggling plant into the light moving among them as if akin to them and cognizant of their sweet wants if she had seemed strong-arm and sturdy as a boy before now she was tender-fingered as a woman and went humming here and there like any happy-hearted bee 
curious child thought moor watching the sunshine glitter on her uncovered head and listening to the air she left half sung i've a great desire to step out and see how she will receive me not like any other girl i fancy but before he could execute his design the roll of a carriage was heard in the avenue and pausing an instant with head erect like a startled doe sylvia turned and vanished dropping flowers as she ran mr yule accompanied by his son and daughter came hurrying in with greetings explanations and apologies and in a moment the house was full of a pleasant stir steps went up and down voices echoed through the rooms savory odors burst forth from below and doors swung in the wind as if the spell was broken and the sleeping palace had wakened with a word prue made a hasty toilette and harassed the cook to the verge of spontaneous combustion while mark and his father devoted themselves to their guest just as dinner was announced sylvia came in as calm and cool as if wheelbarrows were myths and linen suits unknown moore was welcomed with a quiet handshake a grave salutation and a look that seemed to say wait a little i take no friends on trust all through dinner though she sat as silent as a well-bred child she looked and listened with an expression of keen intelligence that children do not wear and sometimes smiled to herself as if she saw or heard something that pleased and interested her when they rose from table she followed prue upstairs quite forgetting the disarray in which the drawing-room was left the gentlemen took possession before either sister returned and mark's annoyance found vent in a philippic against oddities in general and sylvia in particular but his father and friend sat in the cushionless chairs and pronounced the scene amusingly novel prue appeared in the midst of the laugh and having discovered other delinquencies above her patience was exhausted and her regrets found no check in the presence of so old a friend as moore something must be done about that child father for she is getting entirely beyond my control if i attempt to make her study she writes poetry instead of her exercises draws caricatures instead of sketching properly and bewilders her music teacher by asking questions about beethoven and mendelssohn as if they were personal friends of his if i beg her to take exercise she rides like an amazon all over the island grubs in the garden as if for her living or goes paddling about the bay till i'm distracted lest the tide should carry her out to sea she is so wanting in moderation she gets ill and when i give her proper medicines she flings them out of the window and threatens to send that worthy dr baum after them yet she must need something to set her right for she is either overflowing with unnatural spirits or melancholy enough to break one's heart what have you done with the little black sheep of my flock not banished her i hope said mr yule placidly ignoring all complaints 
she is in the garden attending to some of her disagreeable pets i fancy if you are going out there to smoke please send her in mark i want her as mr yule was evidently yearning for his after-dinner nap and mark for his cigar moor followed his friend and they stepped through the window into the garden now lovely with the fading glow of summer sunset you must know that this peculiar little sister of mine clings to some of her childish beliefs and pleasures in spite of prue's preaching and my raillery began mark after a refreshing whiff or two she is overflowing with love and goodwill but being too shy or too proud to offer it to her fellow creatures she expends it upon the necessitous inhabitants of earth air and water with the most charming philanthropy her dependents are neither beautiful nor very interesting nor is she sentimentally enamoured of them but the more ugly and desolate the creatures the more devoted she is look at her now most young ladies would have hysterics over any one of those pets of hers. Moore looked and thought the group a very pretty one, though a plump toad sat at Sylvia's feet, a roly-poly caterpillar was walking up her sleeve, a blind bird chirped on her shoulder, bees buzzed harmlessly around her head as if they mistook her for a flower, and in her hand a little field mouse was breathing its short life away. Any tender-hearted girl might have stood thus surrounded by helpless things that pity had endeared, but few would have regarded them with an expression like that which Sylvia wore. Figure, posture, and employment were so childlike in their innocent unconsciousness that the contrast was all the more strongly marked between them, and the sweet thoughtfulness that made her face singularly attractive with the charm of dawning womanhood moore spoke before mark could dispose of his smoke this is a great improvement upon the boudoir full of lap-dogs worsted work and novels miss sylvia may i ask if you feel no repugnance to some of your patients or is your charity strong enough to beautify them all i dislike many people but few animals because however ugly i pity them and whatever i pity i am sure to love it may be silly but i think it does me good and till i am wise enough to help my fellow-beings i try to do my duty to these humbler sufferers and find them both grateful and affectionate there was something very winning in the girl's manner as she spoke touching the little creature in her hand almost as tenderly as if it had been a child it showed the newcomer another phase of this many-sided character and while sylvia related the histories of her pets at his request he was enjoying that finer history which every ingenious soul writes on its owner's countenance for gifted eyes to read and love as she paused the little mouse lay stark and still in her gentle hand and though they smiled at themselves both young men felt like boys again as they helped her scoop a grave among the pansies owning the beauty of compassion though she showed it to them in such a simple shape then mark delivered his message 
and Sylvia went away to receive Prue's lecture with outward meekness, but such an absent mind that the words of wisdom went by her like the wind. Now come and take our twilight stroll while Mark keeps Mr. Moore in the studio and Prue prepares another exhortation, said Sylvia as her father woke, and taking his arm, they paced along the wide piazza that encircled the whole house. Will father do me a little favor? That is all he lives for, dear. Then his life is a very successful one, and the girl folded her other hand over that already on his arm. Mr. Yule shook his head with a regretful sigh, but asked benignly, What shall I do for my little daughter? Forbid Mark to execute a plot with which he threatens me. He says he will bring every gentleman he knows, and that is a great many, to the house and make it so agreeable that they will keep coming, for he insists that I need amusement, and nothing will be so entertaining as a lover or two. Please tell him not to, for I don't want any lovers yet. Why not? asked her father, much amused at her twilight confidences. I'm afraid. Love is so cruel to some people. I feel as if it would be to me, for I am always in extremes, and continually going wrong while trying to go right. Love bewilders the wisest, and it would make me quite blind or mad, I know. Therefore, I'd rather have nothing to do with it for a long, long while. Then Mark shall be forbidden to bring a single specimen. I very much prefer to keep you as you are, and yet you may be happier to do as others do. Try it if you like, my dear. But I can't do as others do. I've tried and failed. Last winter when Prue made me go about, though people probably thought me a stupid little thing, moping in corners, I was enjoying myself in my own way, and making discoveries that have been very useful ever since. I know I'm whimsical, and hard to please, and have no doubt the fault was in myself, but I was disappointed in nearly every one I met, though I went into what Prue calls our best society. The girls seemed all made on the same pattern. They all said, did, thought, and wore about the same things, and knowing one was as good as knowing a dozen. Jessie Hope was the only one I cared much for, and she is so pretty, she seems made to be looked at and loved. How did you find the young gentleman, Sylvia? Still worse, for though lively enough among themselves, they never found it worth their while to offer us any conversations, but such as was very like the champagne and ice cream they brought us sparkling, sweet, and unsubstantial. Almost all of them wore the superior air they put on before women, an air that says as plainly as words, I may ask you, and I may not. Now that is very exasperating to those who care no more for them than so many grasshoppers, and I often long to take the conceit out of them by telling them some of the criticisms passed upon them by the amiable young ladies, who looked as if waiting to say meekly, Yes, thank you. 
don't excite yourself my dear it is all very lamentable and laughable but we must submit till the world learns better there are often excellent young persons among the grasshoppers and if you cared to look you might find a pleasant friend here and there said mr yule leaning a little toward his son's view of the matter no i cannot even do that without being laughed at for no sooner do i mention the word friendship then people nod wisely and look as if they said, Oh, yes, everyone knows what that sort of thing amounts to. I should like a friend, father, someone beyond home, because he would be newer, a man, old or young, I don't care which, because men go where they like, see things with their own eyes, and have more to tell if they choose. I want a person simple, wise, and entertaining, and I think I should make a very grateful friend if such an one was kind enough to like me. I think you would, and perhaps if you try to be more like others, you will find friends as they do, and so be happy, Sylvia. I cannot be like others, and their friendships would not satisfy me. I don't try to be odd. I long to be quiet and satisfied, but I cannot. And when I do what Prue calls wild things, it is not because I am thoughtless or idle, but because I am trying to be good and happy. The old way fails, so I attempt new ones, hoping they will succeed, but they don't, and I still go looking and longing for happiness, yet always failing to find it, till sometimes... I think I am a born disappointment. Perhaps love would bring the happiness, my dear. I'm afraid not, but however that may be, I shall never go running about for a lover, as half my mates do. When the true one comes, I shall know him, love him at once, and cling to him forever, no matter what may happen. Till then, I want a friend, and I will find one if I can. Don't you believe there may be real and simple friendships between men and women without falling into this everlasting sea of love? Mr. Yule was laughing quietly under the cover of the darkness, but composed himself to answer gravely, Yes, for some of the most beautiful and famous friendships have been such, and I see no reason why there may not be again. Look about, Sylvia, make yourself happy, and whether you find friend or lover, remember there is always the old papa glad to do his best for you in both capacities. Sylvia's hand crept to her father's shoulder, and her voice was full of daughterly affection as she said, I'll have no lover but the old papa for a long while yet, but I will look about and if I am fortunate enough to find, and good enough to keep, the person I want, I shall be very happy, for, Father, I really think I need a friend. Here Mark called his sister in to sing to them, a demand that would have been refused, but for a promise to Prue to behave her best as an atonement for past pranks. Stepping in, she sat down, and gave Moore another surprise, as from her slender throat there came a voice whose power and pathos 
made a tragedy of the simple ballad she was singing. Why did you choose that plaintive thing all about love, despair, and death? It quite breaks one's heart to hear it, said Prue, pausing in a mental estimate of her morning's shopping. It came into my head, and so I sung it. Now I'll try another, for I am bound to please you, if I can. And she broke out again with an airy melody as jubilant as if a lark had mistaken moonlight for the dawn, and soared skyward, singing as it went. So blithe and beautiful were both voice and song, they caused a sigh of pleasure, a sensation of keen delight in the listener, and seemed to gift the singer with an unsuspected charm. As she ended, Sylvia turned about, and seeing the satisfaction of their guest in his face, prevented him from expressing it in words by saying, in her frank way, "'Never mind the compliments. I know my voice is good. For that you may thank nature. That it is well-trained. For that, praise Herr Pedalsturm, and that you have heard it at all, you owe to my desire to atone for certain trespasses of yesterday and to-day, because I seldom sing before strangers.' Allow me to offer my hearty thanks to nature, pedalsturm, and penitence, and also to hope that in time I may be regarded not as a stranger, but a neighbor and a friend. Something in the gentle emphasis of the last word struck pleasantly on the girl's ear, and seemed to answer an unspoken longing. She looked up at him with a searching glance, appeared to find some assurance given by looks, and as a smile broke out over her face, she offered her hand as if obeying a sudden impulse, and said, half to him, half to herself, I think I have found the friend already. End of chapter 2